All right, Isaiah 64 is where we're at. We're going to be looking at a prophetic passage uh, in the book of Isaiah, and then uh, we're going to see how it has been fulfilled. This is something that has been fulfilled that is referred to in the New Testament. And I want us, what I want us to do, I want us to go through this chapter, look at what it says, and then I want us to kind of look at it in light of what's been revealed to us in the New Testament. And this truly is an amazing, wonderful passage of Scripture that uh, I, I know I cannot do justice in how I preach this message, but my true desire right now is that the Holy Spirit will uh, reveal the truth of this passage to your heart. And Because this, what I'm going to be preaching, is something that literally only a saved person can understand. And uh, hopefully... Um, so hopefully you can do this justice. Very important message. But look at verse 1. It says, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, and that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed at thy presence. Now, This right here is a very interesting passage because this prophet, what he's saying here is the total opposite of what the people of Israel said when this actual event took place. This happened, if you remember the story back when Israel came out of Egypt, how remember when God came down on the mountain and the mountain shook and it smoked and the people got scared and the people were terrified at the presence of God. God said, if anybody even touches that mountain, they're going to die. And then later on in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in verse 15, this is a very significant passage, it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. We know from the book of Acts, that is talking about Jesus. Moses specifically told them, God's going to raise up a prophet like me, listen to him. When the Jews disobeyed Christ, they disobeyed Moses' direct command from the word of God. And then it says, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God, in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So when they were disobeying Jesus, they were disobeying God the Father, because everything Jesus said was what God told him to say. So verse 19, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So it's interesting because in Isaiah, he's saying he's wanting the Lord to come down on the mountain like he had done previously in Israel. But remember, when God had done that, they said, we don't ever want to see that again. Don't ever let that happen again. And so God ended up telling, you know, they, they've well spoken. I'm going to send Jesus Christ. And so just kind of keep that in mind. So verse 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Now, this is a very misunderstood passage, but does anybody recognize that passage right there? Because that's quoted 
in the New Testament, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 9 says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, often people, when they quote this passage of Scripture, they talk about heaven. I have not seen nor ear heard. You know, I want you to think about heaven. Think of the greatest thing you can think of. Heaven's even better. It hasn't even entered into your heart what God has prepared. And you know what? I don't doubt the truth of that statement. I personally think that if you were to think about heaven and how great it is, it's probably even better than that. But that's not what this verse is talking about. That, that's not what it's talking about because the very next verse says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things. Yea, the deep things of God. So this, the things that I have not seen, that ears have not heard. The Bible tells us God has revealed them to us. The fact that it's quoting from Isaiah 64, that tells me what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 64 is something that has been revealed to us as Christians. And so, uh, you know, what, we, uh, what we're about to look at, this is an example of something that only the saved can understand. This is an example, a clear example of something that the natural man cannot receive. We see that in 1 Corinthians 2. We're going to go back there. And this is also... Another example of something that we have in the Bible that was revealed through preaching. Okay? Now, don't let people confuse you with this idea that nobody can understand the Bible unless somebody preaches to them. Okay? When the Bible talks about things being revealed through preaching, that's a reference to many of those Old Testament things that were like dark sayings, that were hidden. And then God chose to reveal those things through the preaching. So when you're reading the preaching of Peter, when you're reading the preaching of Paul, they are revealing those things from the Old Testament. When Philip preached Isaiah 53 to the Ethiopian eunuch, now the Ethiopian eunuch understands Isaiah 53 because he, read, he heard the preaching of Philip. So understand, I agree, you've got to have the preaching for those things, but Paul counts as preaching. Even if you're reading it and he's not standing over you yelling it at you, you can still understand that, okay? But under, so understand, there are many things like that in the Bible, especially from the Old Testament, that were hidden back then. But then through preaching, God revealed them, and God revealed what is spoken about in Isaiah 64 through preaching in the New Testament. So I can read the New Testament, and I can understand what Isaiah 64 is all about thanks to the preaching. Uh, of the Apostle Paul. So don't let people confuse you on that. You can, you, can, you can understand more than you think. But I will tell you this. It's still a spiritual truth. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get it. Okay? You can learn the facts. You can memorize it. But you're not going to get this unless you have the Holy Spirit because these are things, these things specifically we're going to be looking at are things that the Spirit reveals. So... Um, Verse 5 of Isaiah 64 says, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee and thy ways, behold, thou art wroth. For we have sinned in those in continuance, and we shall be saved. So, you know, who is this that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness? Because I'll give you a hint right now. It's none of us. Right? We're not the ones who work, you know, rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. And notice how God is upset, God's angry at the sin, but yet the prophet states that we shall be saved. 
So the very next statement here proves, though, that Isaiah saw their salvation as something that was totally of God and not of the people. Because in verse 6, he mentions those who rejoice in righteousness and work righteousness. He said, but we are as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee for thou hast hid thy face from us and has consumed us because of our iniquities. Now something very important we need to understand about salvation, something that I hate to admit, the Calvinists often say that is they what they say is technically right, yet they still somehow manage to find error with where they go with their true statement. Is they will say that it's true no one seeks after God that he seeks for us. That's true. Okay? Mankind does not naturally seek after God. Man on his own has no interest in God and in the things of God. You know, before you were saved, when you did the wicked things that you did, you did it because that's what your flesh wanted to do. And your flesh was not interested in the things of God. But when you finally did come to a point in your life where you realized you were a sinner, when you got saved, when you, when you desired that cleansing from your sins, okay, you need to understand it wasn't because of some hidden goodness in you. So, no, I, I remember. I remember looking for God. I remember searching for truth. I remember having that desire. And I believe you did have that. But understand, if it was there, God started that. Okay? When it comes to the relationship between you and God, God is the initiator of it. We might not remember everything that God did that sparked our interest, that got us thinking about the spiritual things. We might not remember the first thing that happened that causes us to actually be convicted about our sins. You might not remember those things, but just mark it down. If you're saved today, if you have a relationship with God today, God started it. Sometimes with husbands and wives, we might not remember who initiated everything in, the, in, you know, in our relationship, who started what. We might ask some questions about that next week. You know, you know, who, you know, who was the first one to make a move or whatever. You know, we might not remember all those details, but somebody did. Okay. So, some, you know, somebody did in every situation. But I will say this it, it, on earth with a husband and wife, sometimes it might have been the man, sometimes it might have been the woman. But when it comes to our relationship with God, it was always God that started it. He initiated it. He did something that got you looking. And eventually you came to a point you know, where you accepted his gift of salvation. And so, you know, Calvinists are right when they say that, you know, the, where they go into error then is saying that nobody can say no when God, once God pursues, you know, that's wrong. And that God does pursue everyone. And we're not talking about Calvinism today, but, you know, they do say some things that are right. And, but uh, in, verse, in John three nineteen says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So while light went to the whole world, it's interesting that a vast majority of those who received that light were people who were not looking for righteousness. And in Isaiah 65, the very next chapter, we, we stopped reading the Bible ring at the end of chapter 64. But look what it says in the very next chapter in verse 1. It says, I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, 
Behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. So again, show it. God, God seeks after us. God initiates everything. And instead, of, where Calvinists go wrong is assuming he doesn't go for everyone. John 12, 32 says, that if I, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Just what is God looking for? And I think a lot of times we know the answer to this, but yet we still somehow manage to come to some wrong conclusions. Again, Calvinists, and in a lot of false religions, often say things that are right, but then they draw false conclusions from those accurate statements. And a lot of times there's things that we say, there's things that we think that on one hand are right, but for some reason we end up coming to some weird and false conclusions based on those accurate statements. And it can cause a lot of confusion in our doctrine. So what was God looking for when you know, he came searching for us, when he came searching for you? What exactly was he looking for? Because often when people hear about God's love for us, they mistakenly get the idea that there's something special about us. But the truth is, what makes God's love amazing is the fact that, that in reality, there's nothing to love, yet he loves us anyway. See, we often, you know, because God loves us so much, it causes us to feel very valued as it should. I mean, God purchased us with his blood, which all of a sudden now makes us very valuable. But understand that value is something that comes from God. It doesn't come from me, my personality. It doesn't come from my works. It doesn't come from anything I have done. It comes because of what's been done for me. So we do. We look at that, that love that God gave us and that value that he put on us. And it can cause us to get lifted up with pride. And in, rea- in reality, what it should do is it should cause us to be amazed by God. It should cause us to, you know, just to look at ourselves and be at wonder at what an amazing, what a loving God that we have, that he would even love somebody like us. And so, verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, thou and thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. You want to know what God was looking for? God was looking for some clay that he could make something out of, that he could do a work with where he could be glorified, not ourselves. You know, whenever you look at a piece of art, all right, and a piece of, or some great piece of pottery, you know, what it's supposed, what you should be impressed with is not the hunk of clay. Say, wow, isn't that an amazing hunk of clay? You should be saying, wow, somebody was a really good artist. You know, they took something from the ground and look what they made out of it. You know, somebody took a canvas and some paint and look at what they made out of it. You, and so when you are looking at that piece of art, it should cause you to be amazed at the artist. And the thing is, when it comes to us, often we get to looking at ourselves and we get to glorifying the art instead of the artist. And that's not what we should be doing. If God accomplishes something in your life, it should cause you to be amazed by God because God, God wants to be glorified. God will be glorified. God wants to be glorified in us 
And so when God came looking for you, God was looking for some clay that he as the potter could make something out of so he could be glorified. And keep all that in mind. So the Old Testament answer of what God was looking for in us was simply just clay. God was looking for some clay that he can make out of he can make something out of. So before we go into 1 Corinthians 2, let's look at the rest of this chapter and notice a couple of things. So it says, verse 9, be not, wroth, or be not wroth, very sorrow, Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house where our fathers praise thee is burned up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? So notice how Isaiah, he says some pretty wonderful things, but then he ends this passage showing the current state that Israel's in, and it was a very bad state. So from reading Isaiah 64, you know what we learn? We learn that we as people, Israel specifically here, is really bad, but even out of something that's really bad, there can still be salvation we also learn from isaiah 64 that we are clay god is the potter that means something really good but at this time in isaiah's day no one fully understood what that meant so now let's go to first corinthians chapter 2 because the, you know isaiah like many things in isaiah they were very deep they were very hidden and they needed to be preached by spirit-filled men to reveal those truths to us, like Philip when he preached Isaiah 53, and the Apostle Paul here, he preaches Isaiah chapter 64, giving us a fuller understanding of it, so we can and it gives us some things that we should really be excited about. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, because this is something that can only be understood by the redeemed. This is something that God reveals through His Spirit. This is... For the saved, this is something that the world is not going to understand. This is not something we're going to be able to take to our lost people and just prove the Bible to them with. This is something that God proves things to us with. So verse 1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the prince of this world that come to naught. So notice this wisdom that they preach is to them that are perfect or complete. This is referring to someone who's not just the carnal man, but who's also the spiritual man. What he's speaking here is wisdom that is clearly not for everyone. Very important we understand that. And what's about to be said is for the saved. What he is about to say is foolishness to the world. So just, just remember that. We've got to stop trying to just prove ourselves to the world and think we've accomplished something when we are acceptable in their eyes. That's not the way the things of God work. But yeah, that's what many are shooting for. But it says in verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So while salvation by Jesus Christ 
has been revealed to the world, we've got to understand, you know, we're never going to fully comprehend what all has been done for us until we're like Christ. We're all still learning about our salvation, aren't we? Hopefully you know more about salvation now than when you got saved. But one of these days, we're going to know even more about it. You know, once we're like him, that's when we'll have the full understanding of it. Now, uh, you know, we're just, a lot of it's by faith. But there are some things that we get. And then verse 8 says, which none of the princes of this world knew. The princes, the leaders, the wise of this world, they didn't understand these things. Had they understood them, says, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They did what they did because they had no knowledge of what they were doing. They, they didn't understand what was going on because they were lost, because they would not be saved, because they would not believe on him. That was why Jesus often spoke to the Pharisees in parables, because they wouldn't have faith. And so he would speak these things so the saved would understand it, those who had ears to hear, but those who were unbelieving, they weren't going to get it. So we understand what we understand is something the rulers of this world did not understand and they still don't understand. The things of God are not received or revealed through the wisdom of man. You go find the smartest person you know out there that's not saved, they're not going to be able to help, help you out with this stuff. It's not, it's not going to happen. So then he goes on in verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what specifically is Paul talking about? Is this about our heavenly home? Is, or things coming in eternity? Or is this something a little more specific? Is this something that you know, we actually can talk about? Something that we can get a hold of? Let's keep reading. Verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So salvation, we all understand, that's freely given. The righteous standing, freely given. Eternal life, freely given. Verse 14, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the unsaved, they cannot imagine a free salvation. That is why people always say, you got to be good. Just do good. We heard that yesterday. We're going out. Just, just be good. That, that is the common answer. That is the answer of the natural man. That is the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, well, you know, be good. You'll go to heaven. Be bad. You go to hell. You know, that, that's the wisdom of the world. I mean, that kind of makes sense. A merit system, right? You know, good outweigh your bad. I mean, that makes sense according to the wisdom of the world. But, you know, we all understand, and we can go into reason after reason on why that's just not the case, why that's unbiblical. But lost people just can't seem to get a hold of that. That's why, too, we believe that those who reject eternal security are not saved because they're also making their salvation about their works. Yes, man's wisdom says you can lose it. 
man's wisdom says, you know, yeah, you've got to do something to maintain it. You know, you can't just get saved and then still be rotten and still go to heaven. And, you know, but yet you and I, we understand. We see, we understand First Corinthians two and Isaiah chapter sixty-four, and we get the fact that you know what, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We, you know, we get the fact that we're all unclean. See, the world, mistaken, they think that some are seeking after God. They think that they're seeking after righteousness. And, and so they, they, just, they don't get these things. They don't understand these things. I don't want to get sidetracked on all that. But God's freely given us these things. Verse 13 says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, I already read that. Uh, so then, verse 15 says, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And basically with that saying, when he judgeth all things, that means spiritual and carnal and unspiritual. We get both. Why? Because we are both. We've got a physical man. We've got a spiritual man. So we understand both. The natural man, though, they can't get that spiritual part because that's not in them. It's kind of like the, you know, I've been mentioning art. I don't have the part of my brain activated that makes you artistic. It's just, it just doesn't work. I, I don't know why. It's dormant. I see these things and I'm just, I'm baffled. And, and I don't understand it. But, you know, those who are artistic, it's like, you know, it's so easy. And, uh, but I don't judge that. Okay? And so, it's the same thing. Lost people, there's a lot about us they're just not going to get and we just need to accept that and, and stop trying to pattern the, our church in a way to you know, make the carnal man happy. That's not what this is. this is. This is for the spiritual man. I don't expect lost people to enjoy these things, but we enjoy them just fine. I was having a really good time when we were singing Sinner Saved by Grace. I don't know about you, but I, 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 was, I was enjoying that. I think we might ought to sing that one again. Uh, you know, and... and, and and you know what? I'll, I'll have myself a time. You know, maybe take a glory lap. I don't. Know. I, I might feel like it. If I could preach this message the way it needs to be preached, I probably would take a glory lap. But I don't. Know. I need to spend more time south of the Mason Dixon. Maybe that would help me out a little bit. But says so verse sixteen: For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So now that we've seen this revelation of Isaiah sixty-four from the New Testament. Let's go back and look at something very important from Isaiah 64. Now that we've read this passage in the New Testament. Because this is something too that, you know, if, if we can just get a hold of this, I think it'll help us out. So in Isaiah 64, 8, it says, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art the potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand. Now today, we have such a self-centered generation that most people... They center everything in the Bible around themselves instead of centering everything around Christ, which is what we're supposed to do. And we act like, we act like Christ is here to make everything just peaches and cream for us. It's like you know, we, we, Christ is here to help make us look good. But the truth is, we are supposed to be living for His purpose, for His glory. Our life is meant to be lived to make him look good. When God does something in our life, 
The goal is not our glorification. The goal is His glorification. We, we, we need to get a hold of this. People, people think, man, you know, if I go to church, if I get saved, if I live my life for God, everything's going to be great in my life. And I promise you, everything's going to be better, but it, probably not in the, maybe not in the way that you think it's going to be. Right? Some, we, you know, because in our mind, we've got this picture of perfect family. My wife never nags anymore. My kids are all obedient. I got money coming in like crazy. You know, just I'm protected from everything. Nothing bad can happen to me. Well, that's not right, folks. You know, that, that would be great if that's how it worked. But that is not, that's not what the gospel is about. That's not why Jesus Christ saved you. That's not why, that, that is not why Jesus Christ works life. He does not, God is not wanting to work in your life for the sole purpose of turning your life into this magical fairy tale life that everyone's going to want. And just say, man, look at their life. You know, that's what I want more than anything. They've got it for serving God, whatever. And you know, no, that's, that's not how it works. Sometimes Christians that in the right smack dab in the middle of the will of God get run through the ringer. Just ask Job about that. Okay? Now, I mean, j- just ask Job. You know, that, he, the truth is, he, got, he had it pretty rough. So we've got to get this mindset out of our head. Because while ultimately we are the beneficiaries, we've got to understand that many of the flaws in our life, our bad history, our sin, our failures, while they often take a toll on us, while we often suffer because of these things, we need to get to understand that it's those flaws. It's all those scars. It's, it's all those things from your past. Those are the things that end up causing others to glorify God when we allow God to take a mess and make something out of it. You see, we think, you know, and, and you know, if you have, if you have a rough past, if you've done a lot of things that you, you regret, things that have hurt you, things that have left scars, we often think, you know, I need Jesus so he can get rid of all that and make everything look good in my life. But folks, do you realize that it's God taking something that's a wreck and making it great that glorifies him? You see, you're, a lot of people are looking for God to do something in their life that will cause them to be glorified, that will cause them to look good. And because of that, often the scars, the things from their past, because of the fact that they're still there, because of the fact that when people see you, they might still see some problems, they might still see some baggage, it doesn't make you look good. But the thing is, if we see you with all those things, yet you're still serving God, you're still living for God, and then, folks, the story's not done yet, because one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to change our vile body into one like his glorious body. So guess what? That person who's got the most scars, that person whose life is just a wreck, when God transforms them in that day, it is going to be a thing that's, you know what? It's going to glorify God in a big way. And that's why we're here. So you know what? We, we shouldn't worry about that. You know what? If you have those things from your past, you know what you just need to do? You just need to give yourself to the potter. And say, all right, yeah, this is what I made of myself, a wreck, uh, a bunch of broken clay, pretty much good for nothing. But then let God do something with it. 
Start living your life. Start, start being obedient. And God, when God takes that and does something with it, God will be glorified. Not yourself. God will be glorified. And folks, I believe if we would live our life glorifying God, I think we would actually be more fulfilled. I think we would be the most fulfilled people. I mean, look at these Instagram people that are out there. Their whole lives are devoted to just taking pictures of themselves to make themselves look like they have this wonderful life. And in reality, these people are some of the most miserable people that are out there. You know, you have, you know, that one girl, Instagram girl, that was out there taking these pictures like she's just living the dream, living on the road, traveling to all these beautiful places, getting all these perfect pictures. And, you know, when, you know, posting all this stuff with her loving boyfriend who was abusive and murdered her, who when you see her when she's not posing for Instagram, you know, is crying to the police and is just an emotional wreck. Listen, these people that are out there trying to portray themselves as something because of how they look and what, how things appear in their life. Folks, that stuff is all fake. It is all vanity. And in the meantime, there's a lot of people out there that on the outside, they might not be anything that the world would desire. While when you look at their past, when you look at their, their sins they've done or accomplishment or lack of accomplishment, it's not something that anybody's interested in. It's not something anybody wants, but it's something that a potter, a master potter can take and he can do something with it. He can accomplish something with it for his glory. And ultimately, that glory that might come from that might not be something that we really see until the millennial kingdom, until heaven. But in the meantime, if we will just give ourselves to that potter, God will do some great things. And the potter might want us, even as believers, to go through some stuff. The potter might want us to you know, fight some battles and to have those battle scars and things. You know why? Because it gives other people hope. You know, if the only people that were saved were these people who just grew up never drinking, never doing any of the stuff that the world does, if those are the only people getting saved, what does that do for our world? What does that do for this country and this culture where everything is just garbage? It does nothing for them. But if we'll allow God to just take this flawed mess and, and quit trying to get Him to transform it into something that we're already not, and even who pretend they or it's fake anyway. Because again, half these people in these churches and half these people who grew up in church are nothing but Pharisees anyway. They're not all Pharisees, but a lot of them are. They look the part. They know how to dress. They know how to talk. They never done nothing you're not supposed to do. But they're a bunch of stinking Pharisees and God's not doing anything with them. God's not being glorified in these people. They're being glorified. They're the ones being glorified and what the potter, what ends up glorifying the potter is when he takes something that's mangled, messed up, and then does something with that. But unfortunately, too many times, we allow the devil to keep reminding us about our flaws, to keep reminding us about our failures, keep reminding us about our past, and we forget about the future that God's promised for us, and we allow ourselves to get discouraged. And you know what we need to do is we need to say, yeah, I've got flaws, I've got cracks, I've got scars, I've got all these things, but you know what? I'm in the hands of the potter now. I'm going to see what he does. And he can go to do some amazing things. So we benefit. We benefit greatly from the changed life. But the most important thing that happens from is God is glorified. That's what's more important. This isn't just about you. If you think the changed life is about me and my life getting better, then you're not going to know what to think when trials come your way. You're not going to know what to think. When you do, when you mess up, 
You're, 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 you're going to think, I, I, I've blown it. No. Glorifying God is what's more important. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasures they are and were created. We're created for His pleasure. And the potter, he can do what he wants with his clay. He can do what he wants. You know, when you build a snowman, what's one of the funnest things to do with the snowman? Destroy it. <laughs> and you know what one of the most rude things is to do when somebody else builds a snowman? Then you go destroy it. That's terrible. And you know what? If, if our potter wants to rough us up a little bit, it's because he's going to do something else with us. And he has the right to do that. He's got the, he, you know, the potter, he might have made you into something right now and you're doing pretty good. But you know what? He might want to come along and break you down again to make you into something else for his pleasure. And it will be for his pleasure. And when that happens, you know what? We should be okay with that. He's a potter. We're the clay. He knows what he's doing. And unfortunately, too many times, we're like what Paul talked about in Romans, where we're, we're, we're the clay trying to tell the potter what to do. We can't do that. I, I know what I want the potter to turn me into, but... It's not, it's not about my will. It's about the potter's will. That's, it's, his, it's what he desires to do. So what is God trying to do? I like what it says in Jeremiah 18 too. It says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that was made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. And that's what he does with us many times. He, he's got something that he's wanting to do with us so he will be glorified. You want him to make you a certain way so you will be glorified. And sometimes what the potter does with somebody might make you look pretty good and make, might make people look up to you a little bit. But sometimes it might not do that at all. What's important is that it makes God look good. And so we just need to be uh, you know, sub, uh, submissive and surrender. And often saved people, you know, they, they allow the devil to get themselves focused on their sorry flesh that in reality is nothing but marred potter. Some people have really done a number on their clay. But the truth is, that when a marred individual surrenders to God, he is able to form them right now on earth, spiritually into something wonderful. And one day, one day, you'll get the physical transformation. Right? There's some scars you can't get rid of. You know, there's some things that are, they're not, they're not going to go away that you can't undo. But one day, it actually will go away when, when you get that new and glorified body. And sadly, we have some who you could say, you know, their, their pottery, their clay looks pretty good. They've kept themselves from the things of the world. But you know what? Spiritually, God isn't doing anything with them. You know why? Because they won't give him glory. God's not going to get any glory from that. You know, you know you're, you're not that impressive if you make something beautiful out of a diamond. But when you take, make something beautiful out of clay, that's pretty impressive right there. That ends up glorifying the potter rather than the material. And so one of the biggest lies Christians fall for is this lie, you know, that God can't use you because you're marred. And the truth is, God wants those marred vessels 
on this earth so you can do great things for God. And the truth is, in the resurrection, which is what really matters, folks, the resurrection is what really matters. People in the Old Testament, they died not accepting deliverance that they might have a better resurrection. The resurrection is so much more important than anything in this life. And did you know, even if you've got a mangled, you're, you're, you're a mangled, messed up lump of clay right now, if you will surrender to the potter, you could outshine all of us in the millennial kingdom. And that's what we've got to be living for. And Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man I will look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. I mean, folks, think about it. everything that is on in this universe was made by God. So God's not looking. I mean, folks, look at the stars. Look at the mountains. Look at creation. God's not looking to make you into something beautiful that everybody wants to look at. You know what God's looking for? God's looking for that poor, that contrite spirit, somebody who trembles at his words. God's looking for a person to surrender their will to him. That's what he's looking for. Why? So he can make something out of you that will glorify him. And that should be our desire. That should be the goal. And I'm so thankful for this because of the fact that because this is how God works, he takes mangled things. It gives hope for all of us, folks. We, we all have hope. You can be something great for God. You can glorify God greatly, no matter what you've done with your clay that you have and that ought to excite every one of us in here today and that's why we just need to surrender just surrender you're the potter i'm the clay i want to see what you're going to do forget my will god's got what god has for you is better than anything you can come up with for yourself so with that let's pray dear lord i pray that this message uh, will be a help and encouragement to everyone i pray that we'll be able to just get a hold of this fact here god i pray that we'll Forget about looking for ways that you can glorify us and just fix things up so people will think good about us. But we'll, I pray we'll get our focus right and that we'll, we will surrender to you so you can make something out of us that will cause you to be glorified. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you're not looking for uh, those perfect vessels. You're looking for those that are broken and uh, flawed because that's what will glorify you more. And so, Lord, I pray you'll use all of us. Lord, I pray you'll use... Uh, use me and you'll do uh, great things so you can be glorified and so your will can be accomplished in advance in your name we pray amen